Welcome back to Say Who Say Pod. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. Uh, man, I had my Monday planned out. I was going to write about Dylan Johnson. We got Dylan Johnson for the first time uh, after a practice a week ago or so now. It feels so long ago. Um, and he was great, engaging, interesting, really likable, charismatic guy. I think fans are going to like him. Um, had that all ready to go. Nice leisurely wake up, drink some coffee, read the news, got my day planned out, don't have to go up to Seattle. And then, boom, Jen Cohen leaves for USC. And then, Danny, Cam the next Davis. day, we are supposed to talk to, I think, defensive players after practice, but they say, well, actually, Kalen DeBoer is going to talk, which makes sense. The Jen Cohen thing just happened, figured he's just going to address that. And then right away, Cam Davis, tailback number one, was going to go into the season as a starter, look great all camp, out for the season due to injury. So um, I guess I'm glad I didn't write about Dylan Johnson yet because now that story looks a little bit different. But uh, the, the, world is, the world keeps changing, man. I'm bummed about Cam Davis. I do think that this is more of a bummer for him than it is for the team. And that's not a knock on his ability, but I think that they've got a lot of depth at running back. And I, I think they're going to be okay. I'm bummed for him though. He's a really strong runner and I really liked how he played last year. And that just sucks, man. Like to injuries are a reality, especially for running backs. But anytime it happens before the season starts, it just feels cruel. It, it really does. It feels cruel to have that injury happen before before you get to the regular season. It's, uh, it's best shape of your life season. I, I get that. But I really did feel like the version of Cam Davis we saw these last three weeks was truly the very best version of Cam Davis to this point in his career. I mean, he and Kalen DeBoer, I think, had really positive like off-season numbers on him said that he'd gotten stronger faster he was banging you know he was hurt last off-season he was healthy this off-season he did he looked faster he looked stronger he guys were bouncing off of him um he really looked like he he had a chance to be a, a big time player for them I don't disagree that you know it, it is a it's a bummer for him because the opportunity was there you know he was certainly in position to play more than he ever had and you know, he was, he was a key piece for them last year. He had scored 13 touchdowns. So, um, you know, they, they are fortunate to have filled out the roster the, the way that they have through the portal. Um, had to have Dylan Johnson, you know, that that's a question that kind of is easier to answer now because it felt all along like he, you know, the coaches saw him as a really big part of their plans and hoped that he could be that sort of do everything back who could carry a big load and catch balls out of the backfield and, you know, Cam Davis was was looking like he was going to be that too. So, how do you divide carries between those guys? Who's maybe number three? Can a third guy get in there? And um, I'll say, unfortunately, some some of those those questions are now answered. And I think the the new questions are: Is Dylan Johnson healthy enough to start the season as somebody you can hand the ball to fifteen to twenty times if they feel like they need to do that? If not, is Will Nixon at a level where you trust him to be? the number two guy. He's another guy who had a good offseason, put on weight, got bigger, got stronger. The coaching staff's been really complimentary of him. He's gotten a lot of reps. Um, does Daniel Nagata kind of get get back into the picture? Because it seemed like you know he had, had maybe taken a backseat to some of those guys. And Sam Adams, who you know seems to break off 
seven yards every time he runs it in practice, even though he doesn't get the reps the other guys do. Is it Richard Newton time? Does Richard, Richard Newton, Newton get back in there? Richard Newton! He, you know, he's gotten some turns in practice. He's been healthy, so they have options for sure. Uh, it is a bummer for Cam Davis. I was, I was interested to see what kind of year he might have. It just stinks, man. I, there's no bright side to these things. The fact is, is that guys do recover from those injuries now. I'm assuming that it's a knee injury, and maybe that's not fair, but it's sort of it's lower leg. The sort of the nature of it would would lead me to believe that it's probably a knee injury. Maybe it's an Achilles, but guys do come back from that. So I think he'll have opportunities and a chance to sort of fulfill the 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 promise or the opportunity that he saw this year, a year from now. But it just sucks, man. It does. And I I do think Washington has depth there. And certainly looking last year at the way they were able to incorporate Talapapa, that they really do have the ability to get guys up and running pretty fast in this system. But yeah, there's, it's not good news, man. Like it just, it's a bummer. Injuries suck. Not that he necessarily would want to do this because it's a long time in college, but I would think he'd be a slam dunk to get an extra year because of this. Because he redshirted in 2019, now this will be a full year missed due to injury. So if he wanted to be the the seventh year senior um, in in 2025, oh, they God, could get would another it be seventh year. Oh, it would be yeah. Oh, they could I get another year. That. They could get another year for him. He does at least at least we'll have next season to come back. And then there's questions of you know what does the roster look like around him and in what kind of in what kind of condition is he coming back? So. Um, that's all for the, for the future. It's, it's a bummer for him now. Um, I feel like we're, it only happened two days ago, but the Jen Cohen news seems to, it, it kind of feels like old news already. It, I, it didn't quite rise to the level of, of, uh, sending out the emergency podcast siren. Maybe I was remiss in that, although I didn't, my schedule the last couple of days maybe wouldn't have allowed it anyway. But, uh, do you, um, how did you feel about it when, when, when the bombshell dropped and how do you feel about it now a couple of days later? I was shocked when I saw the news and then it made sense, especially because we know that Jen has been very low profile, which I think we generally written off to it's understandable given the negotiations for the PAC 12 that everybody except for the university of Arizona chancellor seemed to not really want to talk all that much. Like he, he would talk till the cows come home, but generally like sort of stay out of, stay out of sight as, as that was up in the air. And afterwards, you're like, okay, I, I can I can see how all of this, how that was a situation that had to be resolved before she ended up making that move. Um, or in which she told like when USC was interested, like, hey, we're not going to talk about this until after until after Washington's futures decided um, with a conference. I'm happy for her. It's obviously a huge step up in terms of. I don't know if there's a more prominent AD job in the country than the USC AD. There's clearly better programs. I don't know if there's a more prominent AD job. I mean, maybe Ohio State's, maybe, but even then I'm not sure. But most of the places where you would say like, oh, that's a bigger program than USC, the football coach is the guy that has the juice, right? 
Like, mm-hmm. if you go to the, the University of Alabama, AD is not the most powerful per- person in Alabama. Like, they're not. And certainly Lincoln Riley's the most prominent person. The, the USC AD is a really difficult job, and it is a really high-profile job. I wish her all of the best. I do think it's objectively funny that sort of the existential crisis that was spurred on by USC's decision to go to the Big Ten, and I basically say that they get like 80% of the the responsibility and that 20% was UCLA following along as USC dragged them to the Big Ten. Like that, that the school that triggered that all and then Jen Cohen kind of navigates Washington through 12 months of what are we going to do? How do we deal with this? Oh, okay. We're going to have to go to the Big Ten. And we're going to have to do it even though we're not getting quite the, we're getting the, the kids meal version of the broadcast rights. And then at the end, she's like, oh, I get to go to USC. Like that is objectively funny. Like there, I, I find some humor that exists in that. I don't think there was anything untoward or anything, but it is, it is comical and it, does speak to me about how the machinery of college athletics is working right now, which is like there's all these machinations that are kicked in motion by schools looking out for themselves. And of course, the administrators are doing the exact same thing. It is interesting, the favored conspiracy theory that the conspiracy theory wheel has landed on, which is that uh, (laughs) Jen Cohen somehow advocated for like a lower share for Washington, knowing she was leaving the USC to like handicap them on on their way into the Big Ten. Which, hey, it, it's college athletics. I don't put any anything past anybody. But wouldn't wouldn't the play have been to advocate for Washington to sign the Apple deal and stay in the Pac-12 and keep the Pac-12 together? Like, if you really wanted to cut Washington off on your way to USC, wouldn't that be how you would do it? Well, I think the implication is that she wants to render Washington a palooka that USC will then be able to drop, right? Like get them in proximity. Like if they took the Apple deal, they might never see USC. Uh, that's not the dumbest. That's not the dumbest theory I heard. The dumbest theory I heard came from some moron on Twitter who told me that actually she was true to Washington t- until the end because USC uh, wouldn't have wanted Washington to be in the Big Ten. So by her staying at Washington and making sure that happened, she did right by the Huskies. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense because if you're telling me that USC was going to block Washington from going, why wouldn't she take the USC job before and change USC's opinion about that? Like you're, you're just dumb. Like that's not even a good conspiracy theory. At least one, at least come up with a conspiracy theory that like passes a basic test of logic. Yeah. It's um, it is fun to speculate. It would be, it would be fascinating to, um, to be privy to the timeline on some of those things. When when did USC actually offer the job? Did she? Because look, I, I think it should um, it should wind up a positive aspect of her legacy if she did know that she was off to USC and that she was going to take that job, but told them, "Hey, hold on, I I need to see Washington through this process." In in my opinion, I have no idea if that's what happened. I don't know if she was as as benevolent as that, but. I, I could, I mean, doesn't that seem reasonable? I mean, do you think USC woke up sometime in the last like two and a half weeks and just decided that Jen Cohen was the person? No, I, I, I think that USC and this is where people will get hung up on like, when was an offer made? I think USC's interest to Jen Cohen has like, th- that came out 
she knew that USC wanted to hire her, was interested in hiring her, probably pretty shortly after they axed Mike Bone. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether she said, okay, we'll have something to talk about after I resolve Washington, or they even had a conversation to decide, like, okay, were they going to hire somebody else? And then they decided, no, we want Jen. And she said, okay, but yeah, but you're going to have to wait until after. Like, I don't... That, to me, seems pretty straightforward. That she told USC... She knew USC was interested, perhaps even willing to offer the job, and she told them that, great, but it's going to have to wait until after Washington is resolved. Like, there doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me why USC would be willing or be the one that waited in that regard. I think they decided that Jen was worth waiting for. Are you already worried about losing Kaylin DeBoer? <sighs> no, I'm not. I, and I read your piece yesterday, and I thought it was really well done. Um, I also read the piece today on Chris Peterson, or on Wednesday, I should clarify, on, on Montlake.com, Chris Peterson's reflection on it. Um, I'm not, because... If Kalen DeBoer ends up wanting to go to a bigger job, he's going to go to a bigger job. Like it's, he's not going to need a friendly AD to, to go to USC. And I I guess what I would say that it certainly makes it more likely that he'll end up at USC if he decides to take a bigger job, but having Jen Cohen stay at the University of Washington isn't what's going to keep Kalen DeBoer at the University of Washington is what I, what I would say. If he gets himself in position to be hired as the coach of USC, like, and he decides to take that job, well, if Jen Cohen wasn't there and USC wasn't a fit, he would have ended up taking some other job, I guess is what I would say. Like, for, for, for Washington and their fit with Kalen DeBoer, um, if he's as good a coach as it looks like, He's eventually going to be in position to take a, be- a bigger job. And then the only question is whether or not he's someone like Chris Peterson was. I guess you go back and say like Don James before that, where he's like, I'm just, I'm not going to take a different job. I'm not going to go and move. And I'm going to be eternally grateful if that happens. Certainly Jen Cohen being at USC increases the likelihood that he would end up at USC but I don't think it changes the chances that he would actually leave Washington, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I, I basically agree. I mean, we think USC couldn't have persuaded Kalen DeBoer to leave Washington unless, yeah, unless he like has a personal connection with the athletic director. I, you know, um, yeah, it, it, like it the- does. It, it raises an interesting question kind of tangentially about what are his priorities as a head coach? You know, does, because I do think, there was a future where Washington stayed in the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 receded further and further and further from relevance and the gap grew and grew between them and the Power 2 conferences. And someone as competitive as Kalen DeBoer might look around and go, gosh, if I want to be the best, if I want to lead the best programs to compete for championships, is this really the best place to do that? Look at the players who are leaving our region to go play in that other region. Look at those teams. My gosh, our our guys don't look like that, you know. Our our opponents don't look like that. What am I doing? You know, so I think going to the Big Ten maybe remove some of that. But this is a reminder, like, and this is a team that came from your own league. How many teams are there? How many programs are there just in this new 18-team league that Washington is going to that 
one would say, well, of course, Washington's football coach, of course, Washington's basketball coach, of course, Washington's athletic director would leave Washington for that school, for Ohio State, for Michigan, for Penn State. I mean, how, how long is that list and how realistic is it that Washington is going to make up ground so that it, it becomes more attractive or at least attractive enough relative to some of those teams that it doesn't make sense for somebody in that position to leave just to feel like they're getting to another level within their own league. Yeah. I mean, you named the four programs that I think are pretty clearly sort of head and shoulders in terms of not just prestige, but resources for what they could offer a football coach. And then there's kind of that next tier of, of schools that Washington is a part of. Is Oregon ahead of them on a national pecking order? Yeah. So the concern that you laid out about if Washington had taken the Apple deal and stayed in a reduced and compromised pack X, they're still going to have some of those possibilities right now going forward. I mean, you're still going to have challenges with resources. Like it's not, I think there is, a rosier sort of or a, a better trajectory and you got some means like there's a provision right that the school can borrow up to 10 million dollars a year against future earnings like there there are ways to soften it but that's that's still a legit thing i just go back to if if you're looking if if Kalen DeBoer is someone who is going to want to get to the highest level of competition that he can He's young enough and he's one enough that I think he's going to end up having the opportunity to do that. And the challenge in that is make, make yourself as attractive as possible and as comfortable as possible so that you win ties. Right? Like so, <laughs> so, so when it becomes a, I could go to this place and take, and I would get a higher salary and I probably got a larger national recruiting profile but it kind of seems difficult to work in that situation it kind of seems like there's some challenges there's some unknowns that are there jen cohen being at usc eliminates one of those unknowns it's a comfortable boss to have but ultimately i that kaylin DeBoer's trajectory is probably going to be determined by what kaylin DeBoer wants more than just what other people are going to be able to offer. Because if he wants to get a better job, it certainly looks like he's going to win with enough frequency that he's going to get that chance. Yeah. It's uh, when, uh, when Michigan comes after him, after Harbaugh has gone, this will all be a, then, then the question, <laughs> then the question will be, okay, but now is Jen Cohen at USC enough to get Caitlin DeBoer from Michigan? <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you this. Do, have you, have you been following the Harbaugh thing with the NCAA? Yeah, he's just self-imposed a three-game suspension. <laughs> They're dare he's daring the NCAA to do something to him. Because oh, yeah. what it was like it was a four-game suspension, right? And then he's like, forget that. And now it's basically and I mean, I know it's overly simple to say it's like over cheeseburgers, but it's really funny. I, I thought Jim Harbaugh was one of the most miserable people to deal with in the NFL. And and I actually do think he's kind of an ass. 
watching him go against the NCAA, like I'm like, that's exactly the situation that it should be. <laughs> like, I want someone like Jim Harbaugh driving the NCAA insane. Like, that is a perfect scenario. I will say, I mean, you mentioned like Washington's kind of ideal scenario is is making uh, making Washington such a great place to work for all these reasons that it's they can win ties with maybe maybe what's perceived as a better program trying to hire its people. Uh, which they kind of did with with Ryan Grubb, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. you know that's that's a perfect uh, a perfect example. He's Alabama is a far superior football program to Washington, a far superior athletic department to Washington. But at Washington, he's got his longtime you know good buddy as his boss. He's paid enough already, not just oh we'll match, but paid enough already because Texas A and M come out came after him to feel mm-hmm. like oh okay. This school has my back. This school wants me. This school will support me in the program. Uh, and you know, happen to have a Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback coming back as a senior year with a couple Politnikoff candidate receivers to throw to and, you know, coming off one of the greatest offensive seasons in school history with most of the same guys. But that's one example. Like, it does it does happen. It is possible. But one of the, one of the big reasons, you know, one of the – the 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 pieces that you would you would play in in favor of keeping Kalen DeBoer, you know, one of the things you'd put on the list of why Washington would still be a desirable location relative to a bigger program coming after him was Jen Cohen. So it's to me, it's less about oh now Jen Cohen's at USC, what might she do from there, and more about just Washington not having her anymore, not having the AD anymore who hired the head football coach who obviously thinks very highly of her new, you know, never had any seed of a doubt that she wouldn't go to bat for every single resource they could ever want, even though there, those would be some battles at times, you know, like she would go fight the battles, whatever battles she needed to fight with upper campus over financing or the budget or whatever. And, you know, not ever use that as an excuse or even show it necessarily to, the head football coach. Like, I don't have specifics or anything. I just mean her, her management style was more just, Oh, football wants this. Okay. Football. I'll go get it. We'll make it happen. Don't worry about it. And, you know, I think it's easy enough for a modern day athletic director, any athletic director to understand that that's how you must operate. That's how it works. I don't think it's going to be hard for them to find that kind of person, but the combination of getting it on that level and being a relatable, congenial person who can develop those relationships with the football coach and those sort of things. Um, yeah, I think that's what you're looking at as you head into this AD search. Let's also be very clear that the University of Washington Upper Campus and the need for an athletic director to fight for those resources it's not the same situation as it is for some of the Midwest schools in the conference that you're about to join, in which there is a general understanding that football floats all boats. There is at the University of Washington what I would consider to be a sensitive, Montessori-minded, like all things matter perspective in which everybody is valued equally that can be somewhat maddening at times for people in a real world athletic department to say like, okay, it's fine to say all those things and you still need to pay football more. Yeah. And like, I, 
I, I hesitate to put too fine a point on the upper campus thing because, like, Washington is a national top 25 revenue-generating and expense-expending <laughs> athletic department. Like, they paid Chris Peterson's assistance at a national top 10 level. They paid Chris Peterson more money than any head coach at a public Pac-12 school. They, I think, are now, like, eighth or ninth nationally in assistant salary pool. So... Mm-hmm. It's not like there's, they don't, you know, there's just, they don't have resources. They have resources. They're very fortunate, like relative to basically everywhere on the West Coast except for USC. But yeah, you go in and. But Jen had to fight for those things. And I mean, that, look, some of this goes back to what happened when Mike Lude, who was Don James' athletic director, was replaced by Barbara Hedges. And there was. Under Mike Lude, there was nothing that football wanted for that it that it didn't get, for the most part. And it changed after that. So you're right. Like, all of those things have happened. But that's kind of because Scott Woodward and Jen Cohn have both kind of steered it. And Jen was much better about it <laughs> and assuaging upper campus than Scott Woodward was. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Scott Woodward left her a little bit of a mess when it came to the the relations with Upper Campus. Yeah, and, and the and the budget and the, the yeah, finances. like where it was basically just like I, I mean, I have I I don't have as glowing things to say about Scott Woodward as, Woodward as I generally do about Jen Cohen. But the one thing he did is that he he kind of didn't listen to. <laughs> <laughs> to some of the people that told him, like, no, you can't do this. He was like, no, I'm just going to do it anyway, because that's how it should be. Boy, he like, loves they're... to spend money, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. <laughs> but, was... <laughs> but there's part of me, there's, like, that's not at the top of my objections, Tim. Like, that's the part that I kind of respect. I kind of like yeah. that he's like, yeah, no, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> uh, do you have, I like, I, admittedly, I kind of struggle with the 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 list making when it comes to athletic director candidates relative to the list making when it comes to head coaching candidates. I feel like there's a there's a certain intangible quality that any good AD has. I feel like there are people who are regarded as good ADs because they made one or two good hires or because they inherited a football coach who won at a high level for a long time or, you know, I, I, I don't know. And I, I, I also don't know how many, you know, really solid AD candidates there are out there who have like never missed on a hire, right? Like it's not a, it's not a sure thing. Some of it's luck, some of it, you know, shoot, some coaches are really good coaches and it doesn't work out for whatever reason out of their control or, you know, circumstances change and, and, you know, how are they to work with? How are they behind the scenes? Maybe the football program's succeeding in spite of their leadership. You know, maybe how did Mike Bone get the USC job? Why was he, you know, how was he so highly regarded? You know, like I, how did, and that how was did seen as a great him? hire. That was yeah. lauded. That was like, oh yeah, like this guy's a name we know. That's, that's a name. That name's in the newspaper a lot. That seems like a good hire to me. And then all of a sudden he gets fired and everybody comes out. Yeah, you should hear about that guy. I'm like, how do you get that job? <laughs> Did they not call I, and talk to anybody? The coverage so, of that really was like, oh, yeah, well, you, we all should have seen this coming. Yes, like, really? Yes. Where was this? <laughs> it was. It might as well have been like uh, USC, let's go, parts ways with Mike Bone. 
comma, well-known jerk. <laughs> Afterwards, I was like, I, I'd never heard that before. Um, so my, my feeling about what makes a good AD or what distinguishes an, an athletic director is very much in line with what social science has to say with what goes into a healthy partnership or relationship. It's like if you, if you talk to any researcher about sort of what makes for a long lasting marriage or partnership, like it doesn't really matter how the initial attraction happens, whether it's sort of like it's just being young and infatuated, whether it is like you've been friends for a while, like whatever sort of however the coupling happens doesn't matter nearly as much with regard to the ultimate outcome, how long the relationship lasts as how you solve problems. Like that's, that's really what is the, the, the most influential thing in determining the success or the length of a relationship. And I think the same is true with an athletic director is how do you solve problems? And we make the mistake in evaluating athletic directors strictly by like their, the strength of their hires. And that is part of it. Like, but making a mistake in hiring is much easier to do than people think because there are so many factors that go into it. And not to mention, luck is part of it. The luck in terms of outcomes. How you manage problems is, I think, the number one thing you look for in, in a good AD. And I, I do think that there's going to be, like, whoever is hired in that position is going to have a question with, with men's basketball because men's basketball is, I mean, they're kind of walking into a buzzsaw and going into the Big Ten because it is a program that really has, has not built a base of talent, even as it struggled over these last few years. It's just perennial turnover. So I don't have a, a, a dream list. I did see one name that stopped me in my tracks in John Wilner's column where I was like, whoa, 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 not that guy. But and the other ones, I'm, I'm open to the idea because I do think, I do think the, the, the strength that you look for is someone who, it's not the person who's going to make the right hire every time because I don't think people make the right hires every time. How do they manage problems? Uh, as you mentioned, I did catch up with Chris Peterson uh, for a story that's posted now at, at onmontlake.com. And his his answer, basically, I asked him the question of what we were just discussing. What is what, what does Washington need? You know, what should they prioritize? What kind of person do they they look for here? And and he said, um, I think there's people out there. I don't think it has to be someone who has all this institutional knowledge like Jen did. I think that was a huge bonus. But I think you need an expert in this landscape of college athletics that is so wildly crazy right now that is a really good leader and super excited and passionate to be at a place like Washington. These are stormy seas. You need somebody that's done this and been through it and gets the landscape and has done some things in this business and has seen it flip on its head in a really short amount of time and navigated wherever this person is and done some good things there. So that sounds to me like kind of along the same lines, right? Somebody who's who's seen the problems and dealt with the problems and guided their institution through it. And that's, that sounds like a pretty, uh, a pretty clear call for someone with some established AD experience. Does it not? Are you, are you disappointed if they hire someone who's not a power five AD? No, not necessarily. No. Um, I, 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 I'm not, I, I want to, 
I want to see someone who comes in with a vision for how do you grow the program? Because I do think that that is going to be the, the challenge going forward is that you're in a situation where you're not trying to hold on to ground. Like you're going to have to try to grow into this new conference and, and the opportunities that are there. And I think having someone who is on the way up can be a bonus in that regard. Um, it certainly does like listening to what, what Chris said first, it's not going to be him. (laughs) I think that's, (laughs) I think that's pretty clear. Um, and then the, the, but the second part of that is, yeah, I think it does call, he is calling for someone who has had experience running a program and maybe not something that's the same size or the equivalent of Washington, but someone who has been in charge of an athletic department. Uh, Ian McFarland has not been in charge of an athletic department, but he does have some input this week along these lines. Well, see, I was thinking that we were going to ask him to come up with a, a sales strategy or talk University of Washington through how it would sell itself to prospective AD candidates. But it turns out, like most things, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about because that's not the approach that he would take at all. Uh, Ian McFarland from IP McFarland with this week's It's Worth a Conversation. Long-time listener, first-time caller. I love the show. Um, I want to thank Danny for a week of introspection. Uh, I thought your piece in Seattle Magazine was was special. And I thank you for sharing in a way that very few do. Uh, second, I thank you for making amends with Dave Mahler. Uh, I know that might not mean a lot to other people, but when the guy whose podcast you sponsor and the guy you met because he just dislocated your arm aren't getting along well <laughs> let me tell you your world can be turned upside down um so now i can finally be at peace uh i love jen cohen i've been a fan of jen cohen's for 25 years long before she came to uw so of course i, I loved her at uw and and what she did and attracting chris peterson and kaylin DeBoer and hanging on to heather tar and in just putting a phenomenal foot forward for the university of washington um, but on we go to the next candidate and IP McFarland company is not a search firm, but we've already selected the next hire. This person is from the state of Washington. Pay no mind to the fact that he's from the city of Pullman. He went to college in the state of Washington. Pay no mind that it wasn't at UW. He has a law degree. He was an agent, which in the NIL world has to be a huge advantage. And in the last year, a coach he hired in the second year took their team to the College World Series, uh, a coach that he retained, uh, maintained his track record of getting their otherwise run-of-the-mill basketball program into the NCAA tournament again. And a first-year hire went all the way to the college football playoff finals. And finally, he already has a closet full of purple ties. So I am asking, say who, say pod, will you join me in endorsing Jeremiah Donati as the next athletic director of the University of Washington? A movement of voices that doesn't replace money, but we can start with that. Please join me. Will you so, join me? I'll take your answers off the air. Farewell. Ian, next episode, we're, we're going to be more. I did not more. know. 
information on the on softy dislocating your arm. <laughs> I, I I did a little bit of researching on that. Uh, he, yeah, so he was uh, two uncoordinated guys attempting a high five, complete dislocation. Uh, he was texting left handed. Uh, <laughs> high five. Uh, yeah, UW was cutting down the nets at Heckhead, and I realized that I was the only person in the stands over the age of 22, and I figured I'd leave. Dave is setting up behind a pop-up table near the team shop, waiting to go on the air. We see each other and both go to give a high five. <laughs> he's he's a little bigger at this point, Softy is. It's pre-30-10. Uh, he jumps up. Uh, our wrists hit instead of our hands. Right then, the aisles start to clear, and he got the call to go on. He is gesturing, are you okay? That's incredible. <laughs> <He has> suffered, <laughs> su- suffered a dislocation. Uh, I had no idea that Jeremiah Donati, who is the AD at TCU, is is from the state of Washington. Uh, I, did, I didn't know that either. Um, graduated with a, a reading from his bio here, a BA in politics and government in 2001 from the University of Puget Sound. So he knows Tacoma. I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna tell anybody I was reading from a bio. I'm <laughs> like, I was just gonna play it off of like, oh, I didn't realize this person whose uh, UPS lineage I have at the tip of my fingers. So <laughs> oh yes, didn't know he was from Washington. <laughs> you weren't aware he matriculated in Tacoma's North End. Um. <laughs> uh, TCU athletic director be interested in the UW job? That's an interesting thought. Um, he supposed so interest. There's a, a report, uh, what 11 days before Jen Cohen was named the AD at USC that Jeremiah Donati had removed his name from consideration for the USC job. Ooh, so, Ooh, that's an, that for, that's an indication of the timeline. For what it's worth. Okay. He well, had, maybe huh. it's, okay. it could also be an indication that it, you know, it could be an indication that, that he was not going to get that job or didn't want that job and wanted to send, you know, you get a chance to send a, no, a message to your constituents that you've withdrawn. Like you, you, you can't oh, pass it up. Yeah, right? yeah. No, that isn't, that is an indication that USC had told him they were going in a different direction. Like that's generally what that means. Possibly. Um, but he was, I think he was on the athletics list at the time of uh potential USC candidate. So his name's, his name's floating around out there i I mean if washington went and hired the sitting athletic director at uh, a school that that put its its football team in the national championship game last year yeah i think i think that would be well like as i'm sitting here envisioning like the the national reporters all all tweeting at the same time that washington has finalized an agreement with such and such and if that such and such is jeremiah donati i can envision the the reaction to that being a generally positive one wouldn't you think so I, yeah, I generally they also TCU has a fantastic hand gesture. Have you ever seen it? I think like so. The little yeah. claws. Yeah, the little the, the little horn frogs uh gesture that they have is is pretty good. I I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's totally happy in Texas and it's like I would never move back to a place that it's uh cloudy 75% of the time. I have I I do, I consider myself a learned man, but I uh, profess general ignorance when it comes to the climatory preference of one Jeremiah Donati. But yeah, I think, it, I mean, if you're an AD, getting an opportunity to move into the Big Ten has to be a huge, uh, it, that's got to be a huge incentive, right? Like you've got it. 
a program that is geared for a pretty big football season feels really good. Might has a Heisman Trophy candidate, and you're going to be going into the Big Ten. That's got to be something that's exciting. He uh, he worked in fundraising at Arizona and Wazoo. So, what have you thought of the mention of Pat Chun as as a potential candidate? Yeah, I've I've always really liked Pat Chun, and I've thought he's done a good job. And you talk about managing a problem, how they managed the situation with Rolovich, I thought was pretty exemplary. But, God, it would be so awful. Like, I would feel so guilty if Washington leaves the Cougs, then hires their athletic director. There's there's two factors I would think would, would prevent that from happening. One being Ohio State. Um, mm-hmm. And the other being, like, I, you know, as much as we've talked about, like, Washington's upper campus preferences would no matter no matter the candidate would they sign off on hiring washington state's athletic director oh yeah it would that would be if if you think you have the right person that would be a completely silly reason to not hire someone um and i know pat chun is highly respected obviously um jen cohen and him are 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 good friends um or were i don't, don't want to assume that they're not anymore but maybe something to check on down the road um it's business, but yeah, I, they could do a lot worse than Pat Chun. I mean, he's, uh, yeah, you know, there was the Rolovich situation. Do you want to hold the Rolovich higher against him? Do you want to look more on the bright side and say, well, at, at least he had a plan for, you know, replacing him when the day came inevitably that he would no longer be qualified to work at Washington State University. <laughs> I See, I'm going to go there with my, the, you evaluate someone primarily by how they solve problems. And I thought, I thought he did a really good job of dealing with what was pretty much an impossible situation with this football coach. Um, I thought he did what he had to do. And they actually, like he was able to maintain some, some continuity in that system. Like that their, their season, like as disruptive as everything seemed, their season went okay. Yeah. Am I crazy? Yeah, I mean they went they went seven and five. You know, they closed, yeah. they closed strong. They they blew out Washington in the Apple Cup. Um the bowl game was weird, but bowl games yeah. are weird now. That's just how it is. Yeah. I I mean, I just I don't think it's I, I don't think it's gonna happen. Is the state does the same dynamic exist with Scott Barnes, the the Oregon State AD? I don't think so. No. And I do think he'd be a you know, he'd be another one if that was the guy I I, I don't know that there'd be too many fans saying like, oh, that's not good enough. You could have done better. And I'm not even saying like, oh, yeah. they couldn't do better than Scott Barnes. But just if that wound up being the guy, I think, you know, it, it, does he feel a little like the Kalen DeBoer hire? Like if that happens, you know, where it was a lot of people really wanted Matt Campbell, you know, and that would have been like the home run. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, it's kind of funny to look at it. But Kalen DeBoer was like, okay, yes, I can. I can see why he'd be a good choice. He satisfies, you know, the, their their most important requirements, which was head coaching experience, offensive background. He'd proven it just that year. Um, and so it was, you know, I think people that was generally received favorably, even though, you know, USC had just gone out and gotten Lincoln Riley and, you know, Matt Campbell was seen as kind of the, the home run and, oh, okay, Kalen DeBoer. Well, that's, yeah, that works. I think Scott Barnes may, maybe is in that that tier on the AD side. Yeah, there's certainly nothing that's happened at Oregon State 
that would make me think that like that's not that that's that he is someone to be leery of because Oregon State has continued to sort of build their program and and that's that's not an easy place to 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 sort of build towards success you see what they've done certainly not just with their baseball team like they've really built some momentum around their football team because he's got a pretty strong vision about what he wants um it's Jonathan Smith too but uh, yeah no I wouldn't I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I don't I don't have any any reservations about that when you, you talk about getting it from a football investment standpoint like that's a place that really doesn't have the resources yet he's still he put together what is it three extensions now for Jonathan Smith, at least mm-hmm. it's been at least two. So, you know, he shepherded resources to make sure that they were paying him what they needed to be paying him. They've invested in assistant coach salaries. They just finished a stadium renovation. Like, you know, he's he's been he's been thinking big at a school that doesn't have all the resources of a Washington and you know, I think very much grasped that, hey, even though it's it's Oregon State and it's not a school that historically you're talking about is spending really big on football that to whatever extent possible you have to do it and so you know that's priority number one so i think he he checks that box i'm gonna try to um i'm gonna try to talk to some more people and maybe get a better sense for for who i would would put on a list over these next few days i gotta go pick up my kid in a few minutes here but i realized danny we have a football game to pick oh yeah that's right usc it's week zero san jose state on saturday What's the line in that sucker? Let me make sure I'm using the consensus here. Uh, we'll go 30 and a half. I'm going to lay the lumber. I'm going to take USC and give the points. Uh, I'm going to take USC also. I think uh, without having seen anybody play yet and just knowing what they've got back, Caleb Williams, I think, is a, uh, you know, they they had a very disappointing finish to last season. They're going to be in prove it mode. They're going to want to go out and score sixty points. So I, th- I think they cover thirty and a half. Does San Jose State still have the same coach? Uh, yes, Brent Brennan. Yes, that gives me a little pause in laying the lumber. But I'm still I'm still laying the lumber. He's a good coach. He uh, visited UW spring practices. Oh, did you get to talk to him? I didn't. No. Yeah. Um, he stays down there on the field. Doesn't mix with the Hoi Polloi. I got to I got to give a shout out to uh, to Sainted Nine. I noticed uh, the <laughs> the two star review has been updated. It's back to a five star. I appreciate I appreciate that. Uh, we didn't get a chance to go through this, but I made some scent of a woman clips. So as we're as as you're heading out after you after you say goodbye, Christian, I'm gonna I'm gonna on your on your way out. You're gonna hear Al Pacino and the role that changed the trajectory of his career. Excellent. Say Who Say Pod is now at 215 ratings. Holding on to that five-star Woo-hoo! rating. What do you think of that, Al? Are you finished, Mr. Slade? No, I'm just getting warmed up. I don't know who went to this place. William Howard Taft, William Jennings Bride, William Tell, whoever. Their spirit is dead, if they ever had one. It's gone. You're building a rat ship here. A vessel for seagoing snitches. And if you think you're preparing these minnows for manhood, you better think again. Because I say you are killing the very spirit this institution proclaims it instills. Sir, you're out of order. Out of order? I show you out of order. You don't know what out of order is, Mr. Trask. I'd show you, but I'm too old. I'm too tired. I'm too f***ing blind. 
If I were the man I was five years ago, I'd take a flamethrower to this place. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. Maybe Al will too. <laughs>